Acts, story of the expansion of the church. Uh, incredible story. You know it well. And I just want to read to you four verses and then we'll unpack that this morning. So that shouldn't take long, should there? There's only four verses. I'm going to pay my watch off just to kind of remind me to shut up at the required time. Okay, Acts chapter 8, we'll start to read at verse 1. But before I do that, let's just remind ourselves we're, we're still in Jerusalem. The action is still in Jerusalem. And persecution is rising against the church. One of their leaders, a man called Stephen, who I have some you know, affinity to, uh, was a leader in the church. And um, he was stoned to death. They publicly stoned him, literally with stones, to death. And as a result of that, the persecution, the confidence of those persecuting the church increased. And it says this. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, who later became the apostle Paul, began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Imagine that, just for a second. The what happened, you know, in, in Wells. What if we heard stories today, people in church who weren't here because last night the police came, the authorities came and dragged them off to church and put them, uh, sorry, dragged them out of their house and put them in prison. Imagine that, just for a second. We were looking around the room and next week we're thinking, oh my gosh, I wonder if they're going to come for me quite something hey those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there we'll leave it at that point let me read it one more time on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, so obviously they were scared that the authorities were coming for them. So they scattered. But wherever they went, they preached the word wherever they went. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the freedom this morning to gather. Thank you that we're not living in a society where we're worried that somebody's going to come in the middle of the night and drag us into prison. Thank you that we're not living in a place where we need to scatter and move somewhere else to avoid some sort of harsh persecution. So we thank you for that. But, but Lord, today we ask that we would make the most of those freedoms that we have, that you would once again inspire us and, uh, I don't know, energize us with that desire to continue to communicate the gospel, to take the message in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, to this community. Lord, we long to be able one day to tell amazing stories like they're doing in Ghana of amazing miracles that you've done here in Wales to your glory and for the honour of your name. Amen. We recently had uh, two conifer trees in the front of our garden uh, and... Um, I, I don't know what happened, but I think one summer I must have, because usually I don't know when you're supposed to trim a conifer tree. I don't know. So please don't listen to anything I say when it comes to, to gardening. But anyway, I would always trim them towards the end of the summer, the beginning of autumn, uh, when they grown and sort of trim them back so they look kind of smart. And they were, oh gosh, 
10 foot tall, 12 foot tall. Uh, and um, usually when I was on a ladder, ladder wobbling around, you know, I'd always get some helpful comments from the neighbours, as you can imagine. But anyway, I don't know what happened, but one year I must have over-trimmed them. Uh, and I don't know what the term is, but when you over-trim a conifer, it dies, doesn't it? It kind of goes from green to brown over a, a, you know, a slightly extended period. And so anyway, whatever I'd done in my enthusiasm to sculpt these conifers in the front of my garden, I'd overdone it and I, I literally killed them so they looked more brown than green. So we did, made the decision that they had to go. And uh, so we got a quotation from some um, um, gardening people and, and they just gave me a quote and, they, and I said, oh, could you just get the stumps out? Because I don't really want to look at two stumps in my front garden. Could you do Oh, yes, sir, we can do that, etc. Et I just kind of let them get on with it. And so anyway, they, they did a good job. Uh, they actually got the, the stump out by trying it to the back of their van and dragging pushing the van forward. I'm not sure that's exactly how, so that's the kind of quality of workman I had uh, doing the job. But anyway, they got the stumps out, big hole in the ground, they filled it with earth, and then they said, hey, leave it about six weeks, let the soil compress, and then you can, you can plant your grass seed. So I was quite excited about that final prospect. All the hard work had been done. I thought, I can handle the grass seed. So I went to, um, the, I don't know if it was a garden centre or to, into Tesco's, because they've got everything you need anyway. And I was looking for grass seed, and uh, I don't know if it's going to come up. There it is, just in case you can't see it. I went for this one. There was like a whole load. But, but which one would you go for? You've got to go for Miracle Grow, haven't you? Especially when you've read a story like the one I've just read. Every Pentecostal needs a box of Miracle Grow. And, you know, I'm a bit of a sucker. Look, it's green and red, and it's kind of calling out to me on the shelf. Buy me, buy me. So anyway, I fell for it. And I, I heard, as you can see there, it had super fast germination which sounded good to me, that it was thicker and healthier. That's the lawn, not me. Uh, and, um, and it's child and pet friendly. Well, we don't have to worry too much about either of those, apart from when our grandchild comes. Uh, and, and four days germination. That's amazing, like grass in four days. That is good mind, isn't it? You, I think some of you would have been suckered into this too, wouldn't you? You'd have gone with that grass in four days. You've got to keep it watered, of course. But anyway, so anyway, this happened about six weeks, two months ago. So eventually I, I, I get the box and it's quite fun scattering grass seed because you don't have to worry too much. You just give, open the side of the box. I've actually taped it up so it won't come out. And you just shake it like this. Like two minutes, it's done. And uh, fantastic fun, really. And then you covered it with a bit of topsoil or whatever it was and, and kept it watered. Well, of course, I picked the drought, didn't I? Remember for all the rain we had, like we had a month of no rain. So morning and evening, I'm out there watering this little bit of grass. Would you like to see what it looked like after eight days? Okay, here we go. Eight days. It's germinating, isn't it? So I want to say to you that Miracle Grow, I didn't find it to be four days, but five days, there were evidence of grass. So this is true. That miracle grow are telling you the truth. Okay? This, this sermon is brought to you by Miracle Grow this morning, okay? They're sponsoring it. Anyway, there we are for you. And that was after. The, and yesterday, I thought you'd be intrigued, wouldn't you? Six weeks on, you'd like to see my front lawn, wouldn't you? Please say yes. Here we go. There it is. Thank you. That was a good response. That is awesome, isn't it? You can actually see which is the new bit because it's kind of brighter green than the rest. I forget the bit, the patch on the side that didn't quite take, okay? But we've still got work to do. I know it's not perfect. It's not Wimbledon, but it's getting there. Why am I telling you 
this story. Well, on that day when it came to sprinkling, I have to, obviously you have to remove all the stones and make it all nice and then you, you sow your seed and you cover it and you keep it watered. My point is in telling you that I could have prepared the ground. I could have put that topsoil on. I could, you know, I could have bought the seed. I could have read the instructions. I could have put it in a prominent position in my shed. But unless I actually get the seed out of the box into the ground absolutely nothing is going to happen and I think that relates to the passage that we've just read because actually the key verse in the whole of Acts and you might want to note that down is Acts chapter 1 verse 8 and that verse says but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth so this is Jesus speaking saying that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and because of that you will be a witness you will tell what Jesus has done for you not only here in Jerusalem where you're based but in the surrounding areas and ultimately to the ends of the earth and the problem is that maybe a little bit like the church today in the United Kingdom, we know the verse, we know the instruction, but the disciples were still stuck in Jerusalem. They, they hadn't moved. Maybe they were just too comfortable in the city. And I think what happens is this, is the persecution comes, it's not caused by God, but God uses it in order to get the seed out where it's needed that's a picture of the church see in here this morning there are miracle seeds you know in you and in me we know the gospel we've experienced what Jesus has done for us we've experienced his transforming power and if you haven't you can but the problem is that Jesus has said to us like he said to the early disciples you need to go and take that it's nice for you and for your family, but don't let it sit around doing nothing. It's time for the seed to be spread. So imagine us this morning, or imagine the church in the UK. I wonder if one of the instructions from heaven right now is, is to picture ourselves like a seed with potential, with this life-transforming message in us that we've experienced, that we know that we can communicate. But if we don't share it... It's a bit like grass seed in a box with loads of potential, looks nice on the outside, but doesn't really make much of a difference to my lawn. And I think there's a, you know, a challenge this morning and a challenge for me. And so please, in sharing this, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to beat you, but to encourage you. And I'm encouraging myself. Lord, can you help me? Because my tendency is to want to stay in the security of my little box in the Christian world, in the church that I know so well and I kind of know how it is. But Lord, would you help me to be like a seed that gets out there and which is sown in people's lives so that they also might come to understand this amazing message. And I know that's why this church does all of its community stuff, because underneath everything else, we want people to encounter Jesus. We want them to experience his love. And therefore, not just that, the kindness of God, but the grace of God that gives forgiveness of sins and new life. But I think it might be time for us. We are a box of miracle growing here today. If a little seven-year-old kid in Ghana can pray for his dad to come back to life, 
I want to suggest to you and to me that there's more potential in you than perhaps we're currently realizing. You can't say that that kid knows more about the Bible than you because he doesn't. You can't say he's got more faith than you. Well, maybe he has, but he didn't have much faith. He was just desperate for God to do something in the life of his dad. And what does he do? He takes a risk and he says, I, don't, I want my dad to come back to life. I'm going to pray because that's all I can do. And God heard and answered his prayer. So God can use that little child in, you know, like some of our children here in Sunday school today, same age as them. If God can use them, he can use us, can't he? And maybe, wouldn't it be exciting that even this week, if somehow God could use us in our stumbling, in our faltering language, you know, when we're feeling a bit hot because it's not easy. Most of us don't find it easy to share our faith. But I wonder what it might be like if we were to take that step and to do it and see what God might do. It may be that that seed is going to take a while to germinate in somebody's heart. At other times, sometimes it pops up straight away because God clearly does something. I wonder what it would be like if we were to be in the canteen at work and somebody begins to share about a need and, and we just kind of offered to pray for them there and then without embarrassing them. But I wonder what that would look like. I wonder what God might want to do. Or maybe we might find a, a quieter place, more... Uh, appropriate place in privacy later on to offer to pray for them but I wonder what might happen as we allow the wonderful seed of the gospel to touch people's hearts and people's lives so I reckon this morning that's what I'd like to talk about I'd like to talk about the scattering of the seed because you might notice in the passage that we read only the four verses that the word scattered comes up on two occasions let me just remind you, on the day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Next slide, please. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. See, I wonder for the early church, I bet they thought, wow, this is really bad. God, would you end this persecution? But actually in it all, though God didn't cause the persecution, God permitted the persecution in order that the church could be scattered, that the seed could be scattered. And everywhere they went, they preached the word. If we go back one side, sorry, Martin, if we go back one side, they preached the word wherever they went. The word preach there doesn't mean kind of what I'm trying to do this morning. We don't have to preach on the corner outside like, like tomorrow morning. If God leads you to do that, then do it. But when it talks about preach, it really means to share, to declare the good news. And you can do that in a quiet setting with a friend in your living room and share, you know, what Jesus has done for you. That's as much preaching the gospel as it would be if we were out on the streets. So you might be good at the street stuff, you may not be, but we're all encouraged to preach and to share the good news wherever they went. And as a result of that sharing, the church grew. The word scattered in the Greek translation is the word diasperu, I think, I excuse my pronunciation, but it's from the word from which we get diaspora. 
And we talk about the Jewish diaspora, don't we, around the world. How Jewish people over the years have been spread, often because of persecution. It means to scatter abroad in every direction and to disperse. That's interesting, isn't it? So wherever they went, wherever they went, they went north, south, east and west. Wherever they went, the common thing was that they went and they preached the good news of the gospel. At the end of the service, probably that's going to happen here. There's going to be a diaspora. You're going to go in a different direction. Some of us might go north. Some of us might go south. Some go east and some go west. You know, across wells and beyond. And there's like a mini diaspora going on. We are scattered until we gather again next week. But, but what would it be like if we were scattered and we were more deliberate about sharing the good news of Jesus? Because maybe God's put you where you are so that you can do that. In your workplace, in your community, in your neighborhood, I, I think God's wanting to scatter us again and remind us of this amazing message that he's given us to Bracoon. We are like a box of grass seed with lots of miracles, with potential to transform our neighborhoods. We are. That gospel still works. It worked for you and it can work for your friends, for your neighbors and for your family. And our nation desperately needs to hear, doesn't it? We are in a mess as a nation in many ways. We need the good news of Jesus to come front and center. So when people look at the growth of the early church, And it did, it grew amazingly from 120 people on the day of Pentecost in that upper room, just 120 people, not many more than are gathered here this morning, 120 people within 300 years, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, Christianity, this marginal sect had grown so that it infiltrated the whole of the Roman Empire. So much so that by 312 AD, uh, the Roman emperor himself, a man called Constantine, had come to be a Christian, a believer in God. That is remarkable, isn't it? That these, these kind of despised uh, Christians, uh, these strange people in the upper room, should have taken the gospel everywhere. And it, it is so infiltrated that even now, the emperor is now a Christian. The question is, how did that happen? How did that happen? What are the the key things? Because maybe they might tell us what we need to do or what we could embrace in order to do the same. Because this nation needs re-evangelizing, doesn't it? Would you agree with me? Most people do not know. They do not care about Jesus. There will be very small percentages of people today in church. Our nation needs Jesus. It needs Jesus. We need to start again in many ways and, 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 and ask God to, for a fresh move of his spirit. Well, there were three things that church historians have identified as three key things that enabled uh, the gospel to spread so incredibly quickly in those first centuries. And then we're going to mention two of them because two of them are mentioned in this passage. The first is this, that the church grew because of, of the faith that was shown in the face of persecution and death. The church grew because of the faith that was shown by believers in the face of persecution and death. That when the going got tough, the Christians didn't quit, they kept going. And they, they stood out remarkably because of that. You know, people perhaps said, well, I wasn't sure about them, but when I saw them die, 
I realised that what they believed might, must have been true. Because if it hadn't been true, they would have not given their lives, would they? But they suddenly had a kind of transforming experience. But they died, and their death and their persecution was a sign to the world that this faith that they proclaimed was genuine. For the first 300 years of the church, um, the, the, sorry, the church suffered severe persecution. Christians were tortured on a regular basis. They were crucified. Some of them were crucified upside down. They were sewn inside of animal skins and thrown to the dogs. And the Romans just were horrific at just the treatment of Christians. Some, it said, were covered in tar and tied to a post and burned as a torch to give light to some celebration that the Romans were having. Imagine that. That's our brothers and sisters, our forefathers, our foremothers were covered in tar and set alight to give a light for some barbecue or something that the Romans were having. Others were beheaded. One historian says this, all the pains which iron and steel, fire and sword, rack and cross, wild beasts and beastly men could inflict were employed against the church. So although the growth was incredible, it was amazing, it came with great suffering. In the end, it said that the executioners of the Christians became tired because of all the work they had to do. They were overworked, trying to kill and extinguish these Christians. With the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, or chapter, uh, yeah, Acts chapter 7, then into chapter 8, every Christian at that time faced the grim reality that they could be next. But rather than extinguish the church, it refined it. See, you weren't going to be a Christian and be half-hearted if you knew it was going to cost you your life. So what it did, it it refined the church. It eliminated nominal Christianity. It purified the church. And as we said already, the courage displayed by the innocent victims was a spectacle that unbelievers couldn't help but notice. Many unbelievers were converted when they saw the radiant faith of of these Christians. Tertullian, writing in the second century, said this, The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. That was 2,000 years ago. But today in our world, in 2022, Open Doors, a ministry that works around the world with uh, Christians and particularly those who are being persecuted, declared that around 360 million Christians experienced high levels of persecution and discrimination last year. 360 million today. 360, I think that's about the population of the United States of America. 360 million people, brothers and sisters of ours in other countries. 20 million more than in 2021. That's amazing, isn't it? Let's go on to the next slide, if we could, please, Martin. In 2022, an estimated, well, 5,998 believers were killed for their faith, which was up again more than 1,000 on 2021. That's sobering, isn't it? See, today the church of Jesus Christ is growing around the world. And the incredible thing is that it's growing in some areas where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. 
And the reality today is not the reality that we experience. The reality of Christians today is there's huge persecution going on around the world. The most, uh, uh, the, the most uh, I don't know, difficult places to be a Christian are in Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, and Yemen are the highest uh, countries when it comes to the persecution of Christians. Why am I telling you this? Is it to depress you this morning? No, maybe it's just to, to challenge us that we can take our freedoms to speak the good news of Jesus Christ and make advantage, take advantage of those. And in fact, I think we have to in order to honour our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the same faith that we uphold and we believe. I love the quote by the American missionary, uh, Jim Elliott. He said this, he is no fool that gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Sometimes I think those Christians today have, a, have an insight, have an understanding that actually this world is not all that there is. They're living in the hope of eternity and the expectation of an eternity. And why not give your life that you cannot keep to gain an inheritance in Christ that you can never lose? So the firstly, the gospel spread because of the faith that believers showed in the face of persecution and death. And number two, the second reason that the early church grew so rapidly was that every believer was active in sharing their faith. Remember what we said right at the beginning? Wherever they went, they preached the word. Wherever they went, whoever they were. And, you know, often when we focus on the book of Acts, we, we kind of get impressed by the people like Peter and Paul and, the, and Philip and the amazing things that they did and the hundreds of people that they saw, you know, come to believe in Jesus. But actually the growth of the church wasn't predominantly down to them. It was down to ordinary people, unnamed people, that wherever they went, they preached the good news of Jesus. John Fox in his book of Christian Martyrs says this, in that age, or the early church, every Christian was a missionary. That's interesting. The soldier tried to win recruits for the heavenly host. The prisoner sought to win his jailer to Christ. The slave girl whispered the gospel in the eyes of her mistress. The young wife begged her husband to be baptized that their souls might not be parted after death. Everyone who experienced the joys of believing tried to bring others to faith. Everyone, everywhere, sharing the good news. I love that phrase where it says, in the early church, every Christian was a missionary. I, don't, I think maybe we as a church, we need to rediscover that, that truth and that fact that we are missionaries. You know, I reckon if we had a commissioning service today and maybe one or two of us were going across the sea somewhere as missionaries into a country, we would live differently than we do here. But the truth is we are on mission. We are missionaries. We need that mindset. And I love that. That's why the early church grew, because everybody, wherever they went, shared the good news about Jesus. I know it's challenging, and I know it's not easy, but everywhere they went, they did it, and the gospel spread, and the church grew. The first reason the gospel spread so quickly in the early days of the church was that everyone was active in sharing their faith. 
There was a book that was quite popular, a few of you might have read it at the time of a good number of years ago now, called Contagious Christianity. It was a guy called Mark Mittelberg, I think, that read it, uh, sorry, wrote it in conjunction with Bill Hybels. And um, they came up with a formula of how to become a contagious Christian. So for those of you who like formulas, this is it, okay? And we're going to try and unpack it in a minute. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Anybody read the book and can remember what MI stands for? No? I just thought I'd test you, Dave. That's fine. It's a long time ago. MI stands for maximum impact. And so the question was, how can we as Christians live lives for maximum impact for the kingdom of God? How can we, you know, take this message out there and live maximum impact? I don't know. I love the phrase maximum impact, don't you? Feels like, you know... Tom Cruise movie, doesn't it? Maximum Impact or Bruce Willis or something. Well, how can we be maximum impact people? Well, let's go to the next slide if we could, please. HP equals high potency. So what they're saying here, we have to live a a life that is passionate for Jesus. We have to kind of discover what the Bible says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remember when you were a new Christian, uh, you couldn't keep the message to yourself, could you? At least most of us couldn't. And everywhere we kind of go, whether people were interested or not, we'd share with them, wouldn't we? Uh, In a slightly annoying way at times, I suspect. But we'd share with them the good news about Jesus. But how is it that when we've lived the Christian life for a while, we kind of, that joy, whether it's maturity, but, but maybe it's not quite maturity, but, but somehow we lose that, that, that effectiveness and that passion. And, and what they're saying here is if we want to be a maximum impact church and a maximum impact Christian, we really need to get that high potency back, don't we? We need to be full of the spirit of God, don't we? We need to be passionate about him and passionate about going, okay, God, I'm going to take some risks for you in order so that the gospel message can be proclaimed. Anybody relate to that? Anybody need a little bit more? You don't have to put your hand up. But I think we all do sometimes to say, hey, look, you know what? I've lost, I've lost my edge a bit. I'm not as passionate about this as I was. And Lord, would you restore that in my life? So we need, number one, that's what we need to do. HP, high potency. CP, we need to get close proximity. In other words, we need to develop relationships with people that aren't Christians. And many of us already have loads of those in our workplace, at the school gate, uh, in our neighborhoods, with our neighbors. Uh, But then sometimes it's possible, uh, because we live in this Christian kind of world, that sometimes we can kind of get a bit isolated from some of that. And so we need to take deliberate steps to become close with people, to develop friendships that enable us to be able to share the good news of Jesus at the right time. We know this already, okay? I'm just reminding you. So HP, high potency, plus CP, close proximity, plus CC, clear communication. That when we get into those situations, if we're going to make a maximum impact, we have to be highly potent, we have to be full of the spirit, and full of love for the people that we're, we're seeking to reach. Probably we pray for them uh, for the right opportunity. We need to get close and be able to have that privilege of giving them the gospel, sharing it with them. And then finally, we need to be clear in our communication. When we get that opportunity, we want to know what we got to say. We've got to be able to describe it. It's not really adequate and you know, to say, oh, well, hang on a second. Why don't you come with me to church next week? When God's opened the door right now, we need 
need to be able, in a really easy, friendly way, to be able to summarize the good news of Jesus. Maybe to share our own story in just a couple of minutes and just share with them and be willing to show them how to find Jesus. So if we're going to be maximum impact people, we need to be highly potent with the message of Jesus. We need to get close to people and we need to be clear in our communication. In some ways, what you do, I'm guessing, I don't know, but what you're doing every day of the week here through the work of the centre is you're trying to get in close proximity to people. You're trying to love people, get alongside of them and to build a bridge so that one day maybe God will prompt you to share the good news or they will ask you, why do you do what you do at the Sunday lunch today? Maybe somebody will come and say, why do you do this? Like, is, why do you have to cook a meal for 60? Is it you just love catering um, or, or whatever? Maybe you do. But, but why do you give your Sundays up to do that? Well, let me tell you, it's because we have found Jesus. We love you because God loves you. And we want to communicate with you in a way that just demonstrated God's love. And I'd love to share more. Well, I'm sure you do it a bit more slick than I do. But anyway, but those are, that's what we do. But we need, to, we need to know that. I'm going to come into land. I know the time is gone. But there's to remind us this morning and to encourage us, Lord, would you do it again? Would you do it again in our time, in our nation? Lord, we want to be a part of a great move of your spirit. Now, I live in Wales. I'm not from Wales, as you can tell. But I live in Wales and lived there for over 25 years. And we regularly pray, Lord, in our churches, would you revive us again like you did in 1904 when 100,000 people came into your kingdom, were born again in just over a year. Lord, would you do it again? And I believe he will do it again. I believe it will look a little bit different than it did in 1904. But Lord, would you stir me up that I might give my life uh, to, uh, to you know take the good news of the gospel to this nation again and with this I'll finish I'm quite excited about this I heard recently that many organizations within the Christian world are, are setting it as a goal to reach everybody on planet earth with the good news of the gospel that by 2033, which will be the 2000th anniversary of the giving of the Great Commission, that the organizations are coming together to do that, to unite and mobilize the global spirit-filled family in completing the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, they set themselves a task of translating the Bible into every single language on planet so that everybody can read the Bible in a language that they can understand. And that still isn't possible for many people around the world. That every person will be able to access a spirit-filled living church somewhere close to where they live. And they set themselves a goal of working together to do that by 2033. That's amazing, isn't it? And you might think, oh, I don't think they're going to do that. Well, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I tell you what, if we aim for something big, even if we miss it, we'll still be further than we would if we hadn't tried anything at all. So I'm going, let's just have a go at it. And what would that look like for us here if we wanted to reach everybody in Wales with the good news of Jesus Christ? And then we take it a little bit further. And I know you're doing that with the Bibles, aren't you? And we're, we're going to communicate and try and get alongside people, put the Bible in their hands and give them courses that will understand, help them to understand. I wonder what that would look like. Then if we moved a little bit further outside and we joined with some other churches and suddenly we got a vision for reaching and sharing the good news ultimately whether people respond is down to them isn't it but our responsibility is to take the good news is to sow the seed 
If it germinates in their heart, then so be it. That's wonderful. If it doesn't, it's not our fault because we share the good news. We share the good news in the power of the Holy Spirit. We are a whole, um, what is it, a highly potent church that said, yeah, we're here. We know what we're for. We know why we're here. We know what we're doing. We're here to reach these people in Wales and beyond with the good news of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're here to complete the commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Shall we pray? Father, I rambled a bit this morning and I've, you know, I don't know, bombarded people. (laughs) Uh, But Lord, I pray that that you'll take what I've said and you'll be gracious enough to help it to land in people's hearts. And Lord, right now we, we ask and I ask, Lord, would you set me on fire? As the lady prayed earlier, would you set us on fire with the good news of Jesus Christ? Would you stir us up? Maybe for some that they don't need that because they're already living in that way. But for others of us, we might say, Lord, would you give us that passion, that zeal again? That you would make us highly potent. That you'd help us to be deliberate in building relationships with others. And when those relationships yield to a good conversation, we pray that we might be able to clearly communicate what you've done for us. And Lord, we pray today, we can't mention the persecuted church without praying for our brothers and sisters today. Lord, we think of the 360 million who are being persecuted in some form or other today. And Lord, we're asking in the midst of their persecution that they would stand firm for you, that their faith would not fail. And today, even in the midst of the persecution, we ask, Lord, just like uh, the, the guys in the fiery furnace, they would know somebody standing alongside of them today. Uh, feel your presence in a tangible way. For those who've lost loved ones, when they say lost, those who've been promoted to glory through suffering, but we realize it leaves a gap in a family. And so we pray for them today, those 590, sorry, 5,998 families that have lost loved ones. We ask today that you'll comfort them in their loss. And Lord, that we might be inspired today because of the price that they paid, that we would not be casual about our faith, but we inspire to live like they did for the extension of your kingdom and your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.